Welcome to Find Your Niche, a career podcast offering advice that you can implement today, as well as career tips that will set you on a career path and help you to find your niche. I'm Lori Cole, certified career coach and job search advisor with iHire. iHire connects you to industry-specific jobs in over 57 talent communities. Find your niche today on iHire. It's no secret people shy away from taking time off for mental health concerns. You may need a mental health break from work if you're feeling sick, overworked, or overwhelmed. Considering that one in four adults have a diagnosable mental health disorder, it's important to focus on your well-being, including your mental health at work. How do we know when it's time to take a mental health break from work? Well, before you burn out, here are five signs you need to take a mental health break. Here are the latest trends, topics, and tips that will help you in your job search. Number one, you can't focus. We all have these days where we can't focus, but being constantly unfocused can lead to stress and can put our health at risk. There's a link between stress and chronic health problems, especially heart disease. The results of high levels of stress doesn't just affect employees, it affects the entire company. Those who report high levels of stress spend almost 50% more on healthcare costs. How do you fix this? Well, we have to be willing to ask for help, both at home and at work. And I can imagine there are a lot of people out there rolling their eyes on this one because The parents are saying, yeah, my family is not going to help me. I remember when my kids were at home, I would declare these 15-minute family cleanup times. Now, the picture that I had in my mind was that everyone would work with me in one room and get things done and cleaned up. So I would set the timer on the stove, and then my family would immediately disappear to clean their rooms, air quote, and they wouldn't appear again until they heard the vacuum cleaner stop. I guess in hindsight, they were at least out of my way while I was cleaning. Hopefully, it's a little bit easier to get the help that you need at work but be sure that you're setting realistic boundaries for yourself. I know when I'm feeling unfocused, a quick 10-minute walk does wonders for me, and there's no shame in walking away from your desk. It helps you to recalibrate, collect your thoughts, and figure out what your next most important thing is so that you can refocus. Number two, your relationships are suffering. People find it hard to compartmentalize their lives. Most of the time, what's happening in one part of your life affects all parts of your life. Working long hours can put stress on your personal relationships, and positive personal relationships and social connections really contribute to our overall wellness. And I think of people working from home in this situation. It is so easy to just stay at your desk if you're working from home and realize that your typical workday was over an hour and a half ago. Are you missing out on family stuff like ball games and dinners because you're sitting at your desk trying to meet a deadline? When we're too busy to be part of our own lives, it's time to reevaluate. Just step back and focus on those relationships and be present with your family and not your phone. 
Number three, you're showing physical signs of stress. Stress shows up in a lot of ways, both mental and physical. I saw a sign yesterday that said, if you don't make time for your wellness, you will be forced to make time for your illness. And I believe that because I know in highly stressful times in my life, I usually end up getting sick. Fix this by figuring out the cause of your stress. Write it down and then make a plan. I know when I'm super busy, it helps me to time block my calendar and make a list and start getting stuff done. Don't overcommit. Tackle one thing at a time and acknowledge that not everything will get done unless you can delegate. Number four, you can't remember the last time you did anything that would qualify as self-care. We all need to take care of ourselves, especially professionals who work in the medical field and people who care for others. Maybe you're caring for an aging parent or someone at home that needs you, and you devote so much time to this person, it comes at the expense of your own self-care. When you begin to skip lunches, doctor's appointments, or workouts, neglecting yourself can easily become the norm, and it's really hard to get back into a good routine. So make yourself a priority. Block time on your calendar for quick walks. Make sure you're stepping away from your desk at lunch and get into a routine and hold yourself accountable. And the bonus of this is that you will feel better. Number five. You are running on empty. Sleep deprivation and poor nutrition are two obvious signs you need a mental health break. Not only does your physical energy go down, but so does your emotional energy and emotional intelligence. When we're well-rested, we feel more like being focused and energized and ready to tackle our day. All of the new smartwatches seem to have a feature to track sleep, and I'm not good. I don't know if that's good or not. It may stress me out more to see that I'm not getting enough sleep. But there are lots of books out there about how to catch more Zs. There are apps and things to track your nutrition and your sleep. It's the old saying that what gets measured gets managed. So starting to pay attention to these things is half the battle. You know what's really freaky? In the middle of researching this segment and Googling different things, I got an email from my insurance company and the subject line read, feeling stressed or anxious? Question mark. Help starts with a phone call. Yes, my phone is listening. But it reminded me that many companies have employee assistant programs and people who are there to help 24-7. Recognizing that you're on the road to burnout and being willing to accept help and take a mental health break will pay off in the long run, both at work and at home. I'm so excited to talk to our guest today, Sophia Nelson. She is a best-selling author and has just launched a new book, Be the One You Need, 21 Life Lessons I Learned While Taking Care of Everyone But Me. Gosh, that sounds familiar. Sophia is also a contributor to the Washington Post and a legal and political analyst for MSNBC, CNN, and PBS. She's also an adjunct professor in Virginia. She's written three other books, Black Women Redefined, The Woman Code, and E Pluribus One. 
Sophia is passionate about the topic of self-care and wellness and recognizing when you have too much on your plate and you're taking care of everyone but yourself. And she gives great advice about how to handle this. Let's hear from today's featured guests who has found their niche. If you're a person that has not taken care of themselves first, how do you become that person? How, how do you start? Well, I think that that's a great question because I would venture to guess, and you know, I don't have hard data for this, but just looking at the world we live in right now, I think we can all agree that it's highly stressful. It's highly divisive. The politics in our culture is corrosive in many ways. People aren't very nice to people. And if you're on social media, wow. Oh, yeah. And so I think given that environment, right, the answer to the question is, the good news is most people don't take care of themselves. So if you're not, you're not alone. You're not some outlier. You're actually the norm. Because, again, your socialization, if you're a woman over at least the age of 40, you have been taught that really you should be second, that everybody should be first. It's the way it is. With men, you were taught you're entitled to certain things because the women in your life will take care of it, right? I mean, it's just a basic thing. Younger people, like I said, don't think that way. Mm -hmm. But if we're talking about how do I begin to take care of myself, I think given the time that we're operating in, it's no longer an option. The other thing is, please hear me when I say this, going to the beach for a week is not self-care. That's rest and respite. Uh, drinking a couple bottles of wine on the back patio is not self-care. That's <laughs> relaxation and enjoyment. You know, going away to the spa is relaxation. That's not self-care. Self-care is the work you do on you. And it starts with three questions. What do I want? What do I need? And how am I feeling? And if you can dare to ask yourself those three questions and actually listen for the answer, you're going to learn a lot about yourself that you didn't know. And I'm not talking about some Zen stuff here. You're going, Sophia, I'm busy. I got a job. I got kids. I got a marriage. I got stuff. I got parents who are aging. I don't have time for this crap yet. Yeah, you better make time. Because one lady stood up in my session and shared how she had this highly you know, wonderful career and all this stuff, but she was running, running. She knew she wasn't okay. She knew she wasn't taking care of herself. She, her kidneys failed, and she had a stroke. She's a young woman. Oh, now, wow. thank God, and the whole place erupted in applause because people could connect. They knew stories like this. Another woman came up and said a 25-year-old dropped dead of a heart attack. What am I saying to you? I want you to understand that nobody's immune, not if you're young, not if you're middle-aged or older. The time we live in right now is stressful. And because we're on all the time and we don't turn off, we're feeling it. And you've got to practice that self-care. And it starts with those three questions. And you simply saying to yourself that I'm a human being, not a human doing, and I'm actually entitled to some happiness in my life. And I think most people do not worry give themselves permission at all just to simply be happy. Well, and people won't grant themselves the permission to have that downtime in order to ask those questions. Because it, you, you do have to be in a fairly self-reflective place in order to just sit by yourself, think about this, because those are big questions. It's, it's not something that you're going to take 10 minutes and say, okay, what do I want? What do I need? And how am I feeling? Okay, check. Got it. Now let's get back on with life. It's a hard answer, and I think that, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Most people, and I want to be careful because I, I don't 
want people to feel like I'm saying that there is this uh, magic bullet answer because there's not. Self-care is something that is a process. It's a journey. But I'm talking about something deeper, and I'm saying to you, and you're right, how do I ask those questions? You just ask them to you. You don't have to tell anybody else you're doing this. It, it's a self-check. It's a check-in. It's you actually saying, like you said, people don't give themselves permission. We were on vacation, and I can't tell you how many families I saw, and it broke my heart, where everybody had a phone. Nobody was playing in the water on the beach or in the pool. It was mom, dad, kids, phones, and they weren't even talking. Folks, you got to be intentional about your living. If nothing else, the last two months in the United States of America, certainly in other places around the globe, but here in America, we have seen the most unthinkable, unbelievable things relative to violence and lack of safety, whether it's in a grocery store, babies at school. What I'm saying is there is no time that's promised to any of us. And I think we're all acutely aware of that in a way that's not settling. It's a very unsettling, very stressful, high anxiety thing, right? It is high anxiety. And yet, and then we don't talk about it. So we're afraid and we're fearful and that's not healthy either. So self-care now is no longer optional. It's mandatory. How would you recommend somebody starting a self-care plan? Mm, That's a great question. Again, I'm talking about a deeper level of self-care here I'm not talking about just the stuff that I think we feed people that's not fair. Because we've convinced people that if you go on a cruise for two weeks, everything's going to be great. That's relaxation. That's respite. That's rest. But actually, when you go on your vacation, take your vacation. A self-care plan is a simple thing of checking in. Is everything all right? Am I okay? Did I put on 20 pounds during COVID that I didn't need to? And if so, how do I get those off? How can I do something as simple as, am I sleeping You know how many people are insomniacs? I mean, it is an epidemic. There's a loneliness epidemic. Time Magazine has an article uh, this month about the the loneliness epidemic. It's pandemic-related, but it was surging before. And it's cross-generational. And it's because we're not taking care of ourselves and we're not checking in. So we keep going, we keep going, we keep going. Mm -uh, I felt a little pain. I'm not going to the doctor. I don't have time to see the doctor. Well, let me tell you what. My nana used to have a saying. And she used to say there's a running day and a catching day. And what that means is you can keep doing stuff. Go ahead. But sooner or later, it's going to catch you. And that is true of everything we do in life. It's how we treat other people how we treat ourselves, how we speak to ourselves, how we love others. Everything we do catches up with us. It's energy. It's karma. And when you abuse your body, when you don't take care of yourself, you don't sleep, you don't rest, you don't have love, you don't have touch, you don't have connection, it's going to catch you. And it's not going to catch you in good ways. At the my chiropractor's office, they have a sign that says, if you don't make time for wellness, you'll make time for illness. Absolutely true. And, and a chiropractor, you know, a doctor that specializes in the back, a lot of, you know, I'm a big Louise Hay fan, and, you know, she was started Hay House, and Wayne Dreyer and Deepak Chopra, all those guys, Oprah, you know, and they all kind of come from the same playbook, which is your physical physicality is related to how well you're doing emotionally. And they can literally trace. There are amazing books out there, again, by people like Louise Hay or Dr. Don Colbert, you know, damage, dealing with damaged emotions, where they literally can relate. If you've got stomach pain, 
or back pain or some it's related to some kind of emotional trauma or something you're not I mean they can clock this like clockwork right scary something that maybe you haven't dealt with from childhood absolutely could be coming up which is you talk about this self-care plan because I want to make sure we answer the question so first of all creating a plan doesn't even have to be you can write it down that's good but it's really getting a routine and a ritual of care And so it's saying that I'm going to go to work, I'm going to have my family, I'm going to do the things I do, but in every day I'm taking 30 minutes that are mine, whether it's in the morning before everybody else gets up and I just sit with my tea. Some people like to read their Bibles, they like to read poems, they like to journal. Some people like yoga, some people like to weight lift, box, run. Whatever it is that that makes you feel good and that is something for you that you know you've been neglecting, take it back. Mine's my Peloton. I love it. That's my time, and I don't want anybody else around. And you carve that out, and when you feed your soul, and when you take care of your needs, man, you have so much more that you want to give to everybody else. You want to be a better boss, a better spouse, a better lover, a better, all those things. Because when you take care of you, you feel good, and that translates to other people because we're all energy. So that self-care plan is really you checking in with you and just simply asking, what do I want? What do I need? How am I feeling? Am I feeling okay? Yeah. Talk to me about social media and what you think that's doing to people. Hmm. You can tell I took a breath on that one. You know, one of the life lessons in this book is do not cancel people. Call them in. And we've talked a lot about cancel culture. As you know, that's a hot topic, free speech, what we can say, what we can't say. Social media is good when it's used for good. And it's really bad when it's used for bad. But it is having an enormously negative impact on people's mental health and emotional health, the bullying, the lack of boundaries, the free speech that we should all be granted and be able to have. But it comes as a double-edged sword because my speech and what I say might not be something you want to hear or you like or it may offend you. And then what we do is we get in these Twitter mobs or these social media mobs or we block people, we delete, we cancel, we don't talk. Nobody stops and asks, wait a minute, why'd you say that? Or Yeah, what can I learn from that? Come here closer here. Let's have a cup of coffee. Can I, you know, the old-fashioned way. Again, I I had the people laughing in my session because I was saying, you know, the good old days of the 80s and the 90s where we had no devices and no social media, you actually had to talk to a person. You actually liked somebody. You had to ask them on a date face-to-face. There was no app. There was no swiping. So we've lost some of that humanity and that connection that human beings need to have. And what we've done is we've become buttons that we push. And then if we don't like something, block, delete, unfriend. And I opened the book talking about the family and the impact your family has on shaping who you are. But what we're discovering is, is that the family's also being very negatively, negatively impacted by the social media culture where young people have a very different idea of how they deal with conflict versus how their elders do. They just cut you off. They're done. Yeah. That's block. Block. Me. And this, they're doing this to parents. So this is real. Like, this isn't made up. And David Brooks wrote an article about the New York Times that, that I read that really made me take a deeper look. And I was stunned to find out how common it is where families are. Whereas when I grew up, your grandparents, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, everybody was more of a nuclear family, right? Now, and we're, we're more transient and we're doing work remotely all over the world. So we don't really have to deal with people anymore. And this new generation, we need to work with them because they have a lot of things uh, they can teach us. 
I think they live healthier than we do when it comes to how they take care of themselves and they guard their time. I think we're bad at that. But I think we have a lot to teach them about how manners matter, which is one of the life lessons. Basic manners can really open doors for you. Being thoughtful, being kind, being respectful. People like that. Sending a handwritten note in this day and age oh, can yeah. be amazing, right? People love to get mail. Well, and we really highly recommend that after yep. a job interview. Absolutely if you've right. had an energy job interview, writing that handwritten note it's can gonna make the difference. That can be the differentiator for That's you. That's absolutely right. And I am so glad to hear that you're offering that to the people that you counsel because you know, again, a young person will look at you and write a note. What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. A, a handwritten yeah, note. Well, th- how do th- I do that? There's some crane stationery, these nice thank you notes, <laughs> get a stamp, put it on there. Um, everybody likts to get mail at home, and everybody likes to get a note at the office that says, thank you for your time. It shows you you're dealing with a thoughtful person. So, again, I tried to come up with a holistic, I build the self-plan for you in the book, but it's not a business manual. It's not like that. It's part memoir. It's part inspirational, but it's really aspirational to help you figure out how you can be more of what you want and need in your life and stop taking care of everybody but you. Another life lesson is don't sweat the haters. Use them as fuel for your success. How do you do that? Now, that's a great one, particularly when you're in the job market. And I know that you probably coach people about this all the time. You know, we talked about a little bit earlier that one of the things you have to navigate when you're in the workspace is dealing with other human beings. And you will listen, listen to me. You're always going to have people who don't like you and you're going to have to be okay with that. You do your best to be a good human being. You do your best to be respectful to everybody. But there are people who aren't going to like you the moment you walk into the room. You're taller, you're prettier, you're smarter, you're more handsome, you're, your mom and dad had more money, they had whatever it is. So you kind of have to accept that. But haters are people that are pretty intentional to throw those darts and arrows at you. And again, every one of us has experienced it in our careers. Uh, we've experienced gossip, we've experienced everything. And what you do is don't sweat them. What I mean by that is life is all about where you focus and what you focus on. And one of the big themes of this book is that I want you to take away from this conversation is you can only change you, period, full stop. You can't fix anybody. You can't change anybody. So you're not going to make your haters like you. You're not going to turn them around. But sometimes by the light that you live and the goodness that you show, I've had people walk up to me, inevitably. People I never knew said, well, I heard X, Y, Z about you. But then I kind of watched the way you show up in the world, the way you live And I am so glad that I got to meet you or know you because had I listened to so-and-so over there, I would have thought this and that about you. But I'm glad that I got to know you for myself. Give people a chance. Don't hate somebody because 10 of your friends hate them too. Study people for yourself. But if you got haters, we all have them. And haters are good for you because they really do propel you. If you use the fuel, like say, okay, you know, If you're hating on me, I must be doing something right. If you want to do this or that, I must be doing something. And then you have to say to yourself, "Um, I'm going to keep doing what I do. And sooner or later, it shows up and ends up the right way. It really does. I had a time in my life where I was just going through such a rough time. And it it was one of those times where it's the snowball effect. You know, something bad happens and something else bad happens. And and, You're like, God, really? Yeah, I was talking to my friend about it, and she said, well, Lori, I think that you're going through this not because this isn't for your benefit. 
this is for the benefit of the people that are watching you oh, and learning that's from powerful. you. And that really helped me through that time because I thought, okay, people are watching me. People are, you know, hopefully I can be a little bit more inspirational to them or, or hopefully they'll see that I'm handling this with grace and they'll be motivated to handle their tough situations with grace. Well, you've hit the nail on the head because this book and all of my books from the first, the second to the third and the fourth are all from life lessons I've learned or failures or things where I had to be resilient or things where um, I literally felt like I had lost everything and I had to find a way, another way or another door. But when you live those experiences, and I'm blessed because I have a platform. I, you know, I write for The Post. I write for USA Today. I, I'm on TV. I'm one of the lucky people. But if my life can be a light for somebody, if my failures or my failings or my shortcomings, probably my favorite quote is the last one. If Favorite life lesson is actually the last one. Um, and that one is one that we all need. Exits matter. Exits matter a lot. How you leave things, how you leave people how you end things, how you leave a job, am I right, can impact the way you get the next one. Yes. You have to make lemonade out of lemons, to borrow a phrase. And the way you leave your mark in this world, you know, we are born and we die. And if you've ever gone to a memorial service, and we all have, pay attention to the people that show up and what they say about that person. And we've all been to, you know, those services where, whether big or small, you can tell that that person who's gone has impacted people's lives. And people are not crying so much because the loss that they feel, but they're going to miss this wonderful person in their life who was good to them, who taught them things. So how we leave things matters. And as professionals, there can be nothing more important than the way we treat people, how we talk to people, how we engage people, how people see us take care of ourselves, love ourselves. And, um, I learned a lot in my life by how I ended things and and was I woman enough to go back? And I opened that life lesson talking about a, a relationship that had ended some 20 years earlier. And we reconnected and we had that conversation we should have had 20 years ago. Both very different people, grown, mature, lived whole lives. But it mattered to me that I was able to say to this person, I didn't get this right. And then they said that back to me as well. And it was very healing. And you walk away feeling like, I'm glad that before my life was over, I got to see someone that meant so much to me once upon a time. And I have fixed this to the degree that I can fix it as a human being. It matters how we, how we do things. The last one we're going to talk about is just say no. It's a complete sentence. <laughs> that is a great one. It is a great one. Um, that is... Uh, a saying that's been around for a pretty long time, but life lessons I've learned were things that I adapted or ones that, you know, I came up with uh, all by myself. And this saying, no, it's a complete sentence, I think is critical because when we're talking about self-care and boundaries, we're talking about the ability to once again, ask yourself, what do I want? What do I need? How am I feeling? And when you answer that, you know what your limitations are. And women, we are really bad at saying no. Men are really good at saying no. Yes. They're socialized to say no. Yeah. And women are socialized to be nurturers, to be caretakers, to be givers. Now, that's shifting some, 
And I think I would say that the younger generation of men seem to have, because they grew up, a lot of them with mothers who are professionals, and they kind of, oh, well, I have to do this because mom is working. Different world. But I think that this notion of just saying no doesn't make you bad. It doesn't make you selfish. It doesn't make you mean. It means you can't do it or you don't want to do it. And don't punish yourself because somebody asked you to do something you don't want to do. Right. You don't have time to do it. Recognize that. Have the emotional intelligence to recognize that you don't have that that time to do it. And put that time into something that is going to be better for you. Absolutely. And I just want to say thank you for having me. Um, I think what you guys do, I'm very familiar with your work. You do a great job at iHire. And uh, thank you for coaching people and helping people. You probably don't get a lot of thanks, but you need to get thanked because this is a tough time to be in your in the HR. Uh, my heart is with HR professionals because there's a lot happening right now around people and how they feel emotionally and what they're dealing with with their not just their emotions, but their mental health. And yes, their, it's a big deal. Their wellness. You're right. The mental health and wellness is a huge issue right now, and and you have to just be empathetic towards those people. Great word, empathy. Yeah. Wish we had talked about that next time. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Sophia. Thank you for it's having. It's a pleasure me. to have you. You bet. We appreciate our featured guest for joining the Find Your Niche podcast. Now, more career advice and stories from your host, Lori Cole. How cool would it be if your company had a director of culture and happiness? I am seeing more of these types of jobs posted, and this person's primary responsibility is to ensure happiness at work. Now, I'm not sure that these people are going to walk around all day with plates of cookies, but they are there to measure the levels of happiness within the organization and help people feel good about their job. This person initiates team building activities and retreats and parties and things that increase team spirit. So part of their job is to hold regular one-on-ones with people and just to ask them what will increase their sense of well-being at work and their job satisfaction. This goes right along with the topic of stay interviews, where companies are Now, having interviews with their employees to ask them why they stay with the company and what's important to them, and that, in turn, helps them to recruit new people to the company. I'm all for this type of position being created, but it would take a special person to fill these shoes. I would imagine that they need experience in HR, PR, and R&R. I see this type of position paying off because if a company has their finger on the pulse of the wellness and satisfaction of the people within their organization, then they're being proactive about it. I would imagine retention becomes higher and it makes life easier for HR because it's easier to recruit new people if your current workforce exudes happiness. Is there something you need some guidance on in terms of your career? Email to laurie.cole at ihire.com. Thanks for listening.